Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. Today we are discussing NXT TakeOver in your house. Taking place June 7th, 2020 at Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida. With an attendance of zero, technically, even though they had some performance center people there. My name is Tommy. I am your co-host, along with my fantastic better half, Olivia. Say hello, babe. Hello. And like I said, we are discussing an NXT show, so that means good wrestling. Yes. And we're excited. <laughs> uh, you and I actually watched this one live together. This was the last show we probably watched together before I moved. And we started this podcast, I think. So, yes. And then we watched... The horror show at Extreme Rules, which you can go back and listen to that disaster of a first episode we had all the way back from July. Yeah. Because we didn't really know what we were doing. I feel like we've gotten a lot better at this show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So in your house, this is a pretty interesting concept because in your house is an old WWF, World Wrestling Federation, not World Wildlife Fund, um, pay-per-view series they would do that started in 1995. They used to just have... Four pay-per-views, and then they switched it to five when they brought King of the Ring in. But then in 1995, they bumped it up to the 12-a-month format, or 12-a-year format that we were used to. Now they're up to, like, 17 a year, because they do all those fucking Saudi shows and whatnot. But these were really cool. They had the, uh, like, that purple, blue, and yellow, like, 90s logo that we kind of ripped off for our That's Gotta Be Wrestling logo. Um, The sets were mostly always, like, a uh, front door, a big bay window, and a garage, so it was, like, really cool and they were always hosted by this guy named Todd Pettingill who had like a mullet and had an earring and a soul patch and he would they would just do all these kind of wacky things that were separate from like Wrestlemania and SummerSlam and whatnot I remember one time you could like call in and win a house and I tried to call in under my dad's name and my dad and mom were like why the fuck would we want to move to Connecticut like (laughs) so being from California no none of us wanted to move to Connecticut but a lot of fun some really good stuff happened at these pay-per-views some of them were really bad of course we'll get there some of them were really good, and some of them were kind of in between, um, which I think leads into a question you might have for me, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, even though, so with this revitalization of the In Your House pay-per-view, um, the sets, from what I remember from from watching uh, pay-per-views of years past, um, it seems like they got the set pretty right. Um, of course, the logo, obviously right. Um, but... I guess the most important question is, did they get, like, I guess, sort of the essence of the In Your House pay-per-view, right? Did they, did we, did we, would you say that NXT was successful in doing this? Or do you think they kind of just jacked the name in the set and uh, transposed it onto NXT? No, I definitely think they did. Um, and there's reasons for that. One, the set. I mean, that just brings back all the nostalgia. Right. Um, so, it's like, right when I saw the set, right when I saw the logo, I was like, boom, 1996 again. Like, here we go. Um, they brought back Todd, Todd Pettingill, who I, me and my brother and my friends always used to jokingly call him Todd Petting Zoo, just because he had such a ridiculous last name. Um, and he had the same kind of vibe he did then, except without that stupid mullet and earring that he had. And he was always kind of annoying. He was kind of like the Caleb Braxton or Charlie Caruso, like the backstage interviewer and whatnot. And they brought him back and that was fun. Um, and I think it had the same vibe. I mean, obviously wrestling's way different 25 years right, later, but yeah. I mean, it like... I think it could have slotted right in, you know, if they continued to do, like, NXT in your house. Oh, for sure. Definitely, like, the NXT's doing war games, the old WCW pay-per-views, and I feel yeah. like that feels like war games now, so... Um, so, I know that you had mentioned that, like, the in your house was sort of that more fun, campy, kind of kitschy pay-per-view in comparison to the very prestigious and uh, overall just very serious um, pay-per-views, such as, like, WrestleMania and Royal Rumble, um... So what, how would you, um, I don't know, I guess describe, uh, sort of like the wrestling style in these sort of kitschy and campy pay-per-views in comparison to like the super serious ones? Do you feel like the kind of sort of more off the cuff type pay-per-views are more successful? Um, or what, what do you think that they bring to the table that like the other serious pay-per-views don't bring? That's a good question. Um, I think obviously more more matches, more money, yeah. um, more FaceTime for wrestlers, more feuds you could have obviously because you wouldn't have to wait from WrestleMania to SummerSlam, a five month gap to get that. You could yeah. go WrestleMania to in your house one and it was a whole month and a half away or something. Yeah. Um there are some really, really like amazing matches on In Your House cards that if they would have just stuck to the four year format, we might not have gotten. Like, um nineteen ninety six had like Shawn Michaels and Mankind and Easily one of Mick Foley's best matches. 
Um, you have uh, Bret Hart versus Hakushi, which I think was the very first in-your-house match. Like, it started that very first in-your-house one, and that was a great match. You've had, um, and even some that dropped the in-your-house name, but were still technically called in-your-house on pay-per-view, like... 1999 St. Valentine's Day Massacre in your house is what the whole fucking title right, is called. Yeah. And that's where you got to see Stone Cold like chuck Vince McMahon off of a steel cage <laughs> to a table. And I mean, there were some really good moments at these yeah. things and we'll obviously get into them as we go along in the years. But they they brought up, I mean, there's a there's one that really I loved and it's mostly because I hated Bret Hart at the time in 1997. And it was in your house, Canadian Stampede, and it took place in Canada. And this is back when Bret Hart, no, like Bret Hart had the Hart Foundation with Owen Hart, David Boy Smith, Brian Pillman, and Jim Neidhart. And in Canada, they were the heroes, like, you know, Canadians, Golden Boys, everyone yeah. loved them. But in the States, they were fucking hated by everybody, especially Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was the biggest rising star at the time. Like, everyone loved Stone Cold. And then he went to Canada, and everyone hated Stone Cold. Like, booed the shit out of him. They booed the Legion of Doom, the, like, most legendary tag team of all time. Like, no one would boo the LOD, but they're booing them in Canada because they're facing off against the Hearts. (laughs) And it's such a weird vibe. Like, when we get to some of the Canadian pay-per-views, you'll hear me and even, like, Jerry Lawler on commentary would always say it's Bizarro World because they do not give a fuck about anybody unless you're Canadian. (laughs) So... Yeah, I mean, there's just some really cool in-your-house moments. Awesome. Um, oh, Bad Blood is an in-your-house. Um, the very first Hell in a Cell with Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, where Kane yes. made his debut. Yes. That's another one that stands out, of course. Um, yeah, they're, they're interesting pay-per-views. For sure. So, yeah. So, I watched the pre-show, um, and I only watch this because, one, they're 30 minutes long. So, they're easy to get through. There's usually not a pre-show match. But the only reason I watched it was because there was a note I wanted to make. And it starts with Scott Stanford and Sam Roberts doing their usual boring back and forth. But then Pat McAfee shows up via um, Zoom or whatever. And all he is doing is ragging on Adam Cole the whole time. Which I thought this was before they had their whole like physical interaction. But this is kind of setting those seeds for the Pat McAfee-Adam Cole feud that we'll be discussing next week when we do War Games. And then the following week when we do NXT TakeOver 30. So I thought that was actually kind of interesting. That they did that, but yeah. baby, are you ready to move on to the main show? Absolutely. All right. So we start with Todd Pettingo, as I mentioned. He uh, jokes about welcome mats and eviction notices and says, everybody get ready to be in your house. They really tried to sell you a house on one of these, by the way. I can't remember what year it was. I keep going back to that. But they were like, just call. And if you have the magic number or something like that, and they would like pick, they had like a board of like 50 things. And if they opened one of the doors, you were like, I want door 12. And if you pick door 12 and it had the keys to the house, you want a house. Not, I mean, what happens with, like, rent or, like, leases or mortgages? So, a lot of times with those sort of competitions, um, what they don't tell you is, like, yeah, you actually do win, like, I mean, just in general, like, those type of competitions, you do win the car, you do win the house, but what they don't tell you is the crazy amount of, like, taxes that you had to pay. And, like, for houses, it's, like, property taxes and... Um, all that kind of stuff. So there is like a really hefty price tag with all of that. And when you think about it, you know, like shows such as like the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey show when she would offer like everybody in the audience gets a free car. Like I would hate that because I'd be like, well, fuck, now I got to pay taxes on this goddamn car I didn't even ask for. We're calling out Oprah on this show now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, I can imagine that. I mean, I would hope that you would be a pretty wealthy person to be able to afford paying the property taxes for a house in Connecticut. Um, either that or just, I guess, like, getting rid of it. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I've yeah. never been to Connecticut. I feel like pretty much all of Connecticut's probably pretty nice. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. yeah. Rich, it's like, well, but... I feel like a lot of Connecticut is filled with a bunch of people who have, like, summer homes and residential houses that also, like, work in New York City. Um, I don't so summer. I my mom was just like, "Oh, we have a summer home in Connecticut." I'd be like, "Why? <laughs> F- for what?" I guess we could see the WWE headquarters, but uh, like, yeah. All right, so onto the show. We get our first match: Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, and Tegan Knox taking on Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. All of them have feuds. Most notably, I guess Mia Yim and Candice LeRae are feuding because their boyfriends slash husbands are also feuding on this pay per view. Um, six man tag match. Super fun to watch these. I know you hate multi-man or multi-women matches in this case, um, but I always kind of love them, especially when you've got um, all these talented women 
in the match and Raquel Gonzalez um, fighting it out. So we get Knox and Kai early as they kick the crap out of each other, reigniting their feud. Shotzi gets tagged in, tagged, uh, tagged in sorry, and attempts a tope suicida, but is caught by Gonzalez and is tossed around like a toy. Knox counters this with a molly go round from the outside onto all of her opponents. Blackheart takes a good portion of punishment for a few minutes from the heels. LeRae gets really cocky and Blackheart gets a hot tag to Yim, who hits LeRae with a dragon suplex for two. Yim and LeRae, who have been tagged out at this point, fight all the way to the back through the garage, which is funny because that's where everyone makes their entrances from. Why not the front door? Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, they fight to the back, leaving it to be a basic tag team match. Uh, the faces gain advantage and Knox gets revenge by hitting Dakota Kai with the shiniest wizard for the win. So your winners are Mia Yam, Shotzi Blackheart, and Tegan Knox. And Olivia, what do you think? I, you know, normally I really hate multi-person matches. So I feel like it takes a really special group to like make me really like them. But I love this match. I thought it was super fun. Um, again, it's really hard to, I guess, do these sort of matches. And I've made the comment before that a lot of times with the, especially the female rosters when, you know, they haven't had enough time, um, especially in front of the cameras in the ring with one another, it can tend to feel very disjointed, um, especially the more people you add to the match. But these women executed this whole match, like absolutely flawlessly, in my opinion, and I thought it was fun, and I I love all the women in this match, so... You're a Raquel Gonzalez fan now, out of nowhere. Nah, well, okay, I love all the women in this match, and then there's Raquel Gonzalez, but... She's fine. She's fine. <laughs> um, she's not... Okay, I say she's fine, because she's not done anything to, like, really, like, make me dislike her, but then also she hasn't done anything to, like, really get her over for me, or really wow me, so... I mean, other than that, I mean, I thought it was a fun match. Like, they all got to, like, kick the shit out of each other, and, like, what's more fun than that? And I just felt very, I don't know, They felt I felt like they came in the ring and were very prepared, but then also, like, had a ton of fun together. So, um, for that, I'm going to give this match a 4 out of 5. And I just oh. want to preface that, like, there really wasn't a bad match on this card. No. For this pay-per-view. So, I mean, I really, I'm, I hate to spoil it, but I really don't have anything that bad to say about any of these matches. Yeah. Well, I have one that might surprise you on how boring I thought it was, but okay. we'll get to that. Okay. It's not this match. Um, I thought this was a very good opener. I just realized now the ladies opened and closed the show, yes, which is great. which is uh, not normal. This one actually, um, I was surprised with the amount of women's matches, because normally, uh, the one thing that I do like about NXT pay-per-views is that they are very concise and to the point, however... With the amount of matches that they have on the card, it allows for everyone to really just have their moment and really flesh out the match in any way possible. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like everyone gets an adequate amount of time in NXT. This was a 10 minute um, match. I'm looking at the yeah, times right now. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know. I, well, that's really great. And all sometimes the women only do get one match, but. Like you said, they open and close the show, and I thought that that's, that's fabulous. Yeah, not a, um, this was a two-hour pay-per-view, which is in spirit of the original In Your House, which yes. was, instead of being the three-hour pay-per-views, they did two hours for a while, then they bumped it up to three, of course. Um, so yeah, it felt like that as well. Like, no match on here got more than 20 minutes, except for the Keith Lee-Johnny Gargano match, which went 30 seconds over 20 minutes, so yeah. it's, you know, barely 20 minutes. Um, I gave it a three out of five. I thought it was a okay. very fun opener. Um... Did it could have been a little longer. I mean, I wouldn't have minded. Yeah. But, um, yeah, aside from, like, everyone kind of... I, I didn't know who was tagging in. That was the problem with this match. And yeah. it really bummed me out because I'm, like, normally very connoisseur of the tags. You hear the slap, there's the tag. But, like, for one reason, like, Raquel Gonzalez was in. I was like, I didn't see a tag. Like, what's happening here? The well, referee lost I, all I control. Like I'm just kind of an idiot. But I just... That's why I kind of hate these multi-person matches a lot of times. Because I'm like... Is this even legal at this point? Like, <laughs> Well, see, growing up in the Attitude Era, I'm a slut for tag team wrestling because the Attitude Era had the best tag teams. I don't care what anyone... You can rag on the Attitude Era you want for not holding up, which is also not true, but what they had better than any other era of wrestling is tag team wrestling, and it was so good and so concise, and I would always pay attention to them. Imagine Christian, the Hardy Boys, the Dudley Boys, Acolytes, the Crash, the Holly Brothers, New Age Outlaws. Like, It was just such good tag team wrestling and you were excited to see it every week and that's why like in tag team matches I always get really happy to watch them because it reminds me of that and then tags are a thing it's a small detail that I always notice but if I start to not notice when tags are happening I'm kind of losing interest in the match yeah yeah three out of five very solid opener I dug it um we then get a commercial for uh 
for your consideration, this is brought to you by, which was uh, old Lord Alfred Hayes' voice from the 80s, um, and it's some ice cream bar commercials, which they're selling in stores, and I've yet to find, but I really want to buy them. CM Punk was finally getting his wish six years after he uh, was eradicated from the company. <laughs> by eradicated, I mean quit, like a little baby, but if you're listening to the CM Punk, you can go ahead and tweet me all you want. You're kind of a dick anyway, but... <laughs> Um, I met him once. He's dude's an asshole. Um, all right, we get our next match. We get Damian Priest taking on Finn Balor. This was before Priest was the North American champion and before Finn Balor was the NXT champion for the second time. Um, this rivalry is just because Priest thinks he's better than Finn and Finn's like, bitch, please. So we get this cool little, uh, match between them. Um, upon Priest's entrance, Beth Phoenix quotes and compares him to Brandon Lee, which... I know you can tune out commentary. I don't have that ability. Um, so this one, I was like, wait a second. No, wait He's going to get minute. shot by complete accident and dead? Yeah. Because I hope not. Which, it was also a little more morbidly funny because Finn Balor is known for doing the finger gun point. So right. I, I'm like, that's not really a sound no. reference, uh, Beth, but you're still great. Um, during Balor's entrance, Finn drop kicks Priest and begins to attack him uh, vigorously. Priest gains control with his strength, slamming Balor onto the ring apron and dropping Finn with a high-impact flatliner. Uh, the two men end up on the outside where Balor lays into Priest with a series of kicks up against the barricade. Balor almost wins with a Pele kick after both men rock each other with a series of kicks. There was about six or seven in this. Finn gets a razor's edge onto the ring apron but somehow kicks out his two. And we always laugh when someone gets hit on the ring apron because without fail, an announcer, usually Byron Saxton, but if he's not around, someone will be like, that's the hardest part of the ring, which it is. We know. We uh, got the memo. <laughs> um, all right, where was I? Sorry, Priest attempts another's razor's edge, um, this time from the ring apron to the still steps on the outside, but Finn counters this and kicks Priest off of the ring apron into the steel steps that have been laid on the outside. And Priest does not land flush on his back. It's like his tailbone hits yeah. it, and he gets launched off of this. And I saw you as I was mentioning it. You inhaled um, because it's nasty. That You, like, oof, his poor hips. Um, back in the ring, Finn nails two coup de gras for the win. So, Olivia, what do we think of the second match on the card? I also really like this match. I just, I don't know, I guess anytime I see Finn Balor wrestle on NXT, it gets me really excited. Because I'm like, this just proves to me that... NXT is really no longer the developmental brand and that there are certain types of wrestlers who really thrive on the quote-unquote main roster because it's not really the main roster it's just the other two branches of WWE um and I just I really think that he thrives in NXT and I love that and you hear me say it all the time but you know there are certain wrestlers that I wish would stay in NXT and there's certain wrestlers and I'm like oh they're they're made for you know raw or smackdown mm-hmm. uh and so i guess i don't know i just think that nxt is where finn balor belongs and i feel like in this type of wrestling he really gets not only the recognition that he deserves but then also he gets to really demonstrate his style of wrestling um that's not super cohesive with the style of wrestling that is portrayed on raw and smackdown so i really love that um I mean, yeah, that spot on the steps where <laughs> Damien just, like, wrecks his whole back on the steel steps is just, that was brutal. Um, I don't think that's what was supposed to happen, but it was, like, really gnarly nonetheless. He, he definitely went too far. And then they showed it in slow-mo, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. It looks even worse. <laughs> they just kept replaying it. Um, but this match was, like, super brutal, uh, and I really liked that. And so I, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Um, just because, again, I just, I love NXT, and I'm like, ah, oh, these matches could go just a little bit longer, you know? Um, but they, they definitely give them their time, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 13 minute, really you always bring up the time, so I'm like, I'm looking at yeah. it anyway, so it's 13 minute <laughs> match. Um, and I think both guys made the most out of it. This was, I don't want to say early on in pre, I mean, he's been there for like a year and some change now yeah. at this point. Um, but this was kind of his first biggest test he had, and it was against, I mean, who better do you want to be in the ring with than Finn Balor? Like, the NXT guy, really. Yeah. He helped build it five years ago, and now he's back. And both guys looked great, I think. Um, their Finn's speed match with Damian's strength made a really compelling match. And I really like where they went from here. Um, I don't know if that... I mean, he definitely was supposed to land a little more flush on that oh, thing. Oh, for but sure. But he, he overshot it, and it looked terrible. Um, but we were entertained, so yeah. thanks, yeah, Damien Priest, exactly. um, the former Punishment Martinez. But 
Yeah, um, I give it a 3.5 out of 5 as well. Good, solid second match yes. as well. So the pay-per-view's off to a great start. And then, bringing back the nostalgia again, we get a uh, commercial, an old 90s-era commercial with Adam Cole hyping Ico Pro, which, if you grew up in the um, New Generation era, which I like to say I'm an Attitude Era kid, but I grew up watching the next, the New Generation, it was called. That's where I first started watching wrestling. They had all these banners all over the arenas for Ico Pro, which, do you know what that is? I do not. It was a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a supplemental material that they would try and sell. It was for, like, bodybuilding and whatnot, but it wasn't... It was right after the steroid thing, and it's supposed to just, yeah. So it's like a, is it like a protein powder? Yes, it's something similar to that. I obviously never tried it because I was like six, but. um, Yeah, or is it like a, like a human growth hormone? I think it's, I think it's like a protein sort of thing. Like you take this and it helps, Gotcha. So like, is it When you're working out, take IcoPro and help that sort of thing. It's like a, like a pre-workout kind of deal. Yes. Or it's like the powders and shit. Yeah, there is, um, there is a wrestling um artist i guess you could call him he does a bunch of like stickers and um t-shirts and whatnot um his name's i I don't know if it's a guy or girl that runs it um but their name is monster heel store and uh you can buy an ico pro banner from them for like 25 bucks and i'm like hmm that'd be really (laughs) cool to hang in my house for those people that get it um and yeah that brought back the uh that brought back the nostalgia feels as well so and then they i mean i believe the wwf owned it Right. And then it ended up failing. So, which we'll get into more of those like later, especially the Attitude Era when I bring back like the Stacker 2 commercials and you're probably See, sitting there I like, would, what the yeah, fuck is that? I don't even know. And I would love to know just because I, I, there's a lot of things that I wish I had context for as I go back and like watch those pay-per-views, but... I sent I, you a YouTube video of like a Lugs commercial once, right? The yeah, because I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but I'm interested because I feel like at the time, like wrestling was something that like everyone watched. So it's something that you would always want to, like a show you would want to advertise on. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know like how many like different pots that WWF had their hands in because I can imagine they promoted a ton of shit that like, was just a product of its time. Alright, here are some of the ones I can remember. Okay. Ico Pro, obviously, but yeah. I think they owned that one. Okay. Uh, there was Stacker 2, which was, like, the original energy drink. Um, there was the Chef Y.D. commercials, which were great. Um, those were hilarious, especially, like, the one with Kane eating it. Like, a masked Kane eating Chef Y.D. <laughs> uh, there was Lugs, which were the shoe brand. Oh, God, there's God, there's definitely more. Um... Those are all I can remember at the moment, but gotcha. there's some, yeah. there's some gems in there and they don't take them out of the network stuff. Like, especially if you watch like the Raws and Smackdown, they're like, yeah. the Raw replay brought to you by Chef Boyardee. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good stuff. Um, we'll watch some Raws and Smackdowns and see some of those. We move on to our third match, the North American championship match between Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano. The feud to this is Gargano thinks he's better than Keith Lee and uh, they do this like the Gargano way with him and Candice LeRae and they like in, we'll invite you into our house but you're not really invited it's like the whole thing and Keith Lee's the champion and Gargano wants it so Gargano enters through the front door which is nice um he leaves like this dinner table and the camera follows him through the front door he locks the door and puts the uh, key into his into his tights which will come back later um Lee Keith Lee enters he's got a Black Lives Matter Black Lives Matter pardon me on his vest and his trunks which is really cool and then this was only f- six months ago but i'm like oh yeah all that was really prominent this year it's yeah. how quickly we forget how long this year has really been um and also good on them for letting him put those on his tights because i oh, know sure. there's a lot yeah. of conservative people in the wwe and he definitely deserved to be able to do that oh, and for sure. shine a light on it um we get another tope suicida catch this time from leander gargano who counters by hitting lee with a super kick this 86th super kick of our show um it's a little restaurant joke if you 86. Um, never mind. I'm going to keep going. Gargano <laughs> begins to ground Lee um, by focusing on his eye, which was injured with a key to the eye on the previous week's NXT. Um, Gargano attempts a middle rope spear, but Lee humorously just swats him out of the air. Uh, Lee misses a discus elbow and eats another Gargano super kick, the 87th. Gargano finally hits the tope while also transitioning into a tornado DDT onto the outside ramp. Gargano argues argues with the referee about the count on the outside as Lee recovers and pounces Gargano right through the plexiglass um, barricade, which was fucking hilarious. 
Uh, Candice LeRae arrives out of nowhere to talk down Lee as she's about to as he's about to beat up Gargano, but Yim follows to beat her up some more from earlier in the day. Uh, Gargano digs the key from his trunks and uses it on Keith Lee's eye, then hits a trifecta of super kicks number eighty nine or eighty eight, eighty nine, and ninety, but only gets a two count. A spirit bomb and a big bang catastrophe later are not far behind, and Keith Lee retains his championship. So Olivia, what do you think? I thought this match was super fun. I love Johnny Gargano as a heel. Um, even though he's like a super good as a face and a heel, um, I just I think he's just so dastardly as a heel, and he makes me laugh so much. Um, and that's what I love about wrestling is when it can be like super entertaining, but then also like make me chuckle. And there was a couple times in this match where he made me do that. And the first was at the beginning of the match, he had said something along the lines of he was speaking to um, the performance center people um, behind the plexiglass because they were all, you know, booing him. And he was like, you're lucky to watch me wrestle. I'm like, yes, Johnny, they are actually because um, you're pretty great. He's and Johnny then, Takeover for a reason. Exactly. And then the whole situation where he pulls the keys out of his trunks and then proceeds to dig them into Keith Lee's eye. I, that was super sports entertaining to me just because I'm like, that has touched your junk, like, this whole match. <laughs> they were. And they then wear you're going to, like, put it, put it in his eye. And I just, I, I don't know why that made me laugh so hard, but I'm like, ah, this is, this is wrestling right here. And, um, again, I, uh, my heart hurts because I just wish that Keith Lee and Mia Yim were both still in NXT. Keith Lee, especially, just oh, because... Mia Yim, especially, because she's part of Retribution. <laughs> God, yeah. I mean, Keith Lee's doing great, um, on the, I guess, the main roster, but, um, I don't know. Like, I just feel as if, like, he was able to demonstrate his athleticism way more. I feel like they've limited limited him a lot since he's I guess I hate saying moved up because it's not really what it is but you know moved on from NXT and they don't really I don't know they don't encourage him to I guess show off that athleticism and I think that he really was able to showcase that he always is but especially in this match with Johnny Gargano who is super tiny flies around the ring um and I think that it says a lot for someone as like just huge. I mean, he's a tall, big dude. You know, Keith Lee to be able to keep up with him. Six five, two hundred thirty yeah, pounds. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. Um. So again, this match was super entertaining, super fun, made me laugh. Um. But was also filled with like a lot of good wrestling. So for that, I give it a four out of five. Um, I give it four point five out of five. This okay. match was awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've I've been asked the question, why don't you give matches that you love a five out of five? And while I do love this match, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, it take the match has to be perfect. Yeah. For me to be a five out of five, like perfect. Yeah. So, four point five is the highest I can give most matches. Trust right. me. We'll get to some fives. Yeah. But uh, this match was awesome. Um, both guys are great. I really think that. Keith Lee reminds me a lot of Vader, where he's just this massive dude, but can, is so quick. And oh, totally. So, so strong and so fast. That's and he's much faster than yeah. Vader, but he was able, like, Vader was also able to do some really quick wrestling yeah. for a dude his size. They've just got, like, I, I guess it, what, what, and I don't want to stereotype any certain type of wrestler, but I think that it says a lot to be that big and that strong and to have that type of stamina that they do, because... Um, and just in regular wrestling precedent, um, you just normally see like the super huge dudes, like, you know, really are slower wrestlers, don't really have a ton of stamina. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to like fat shame by any means. Um, it's just really impressive that they have that level of stamina. Right, yeah, because, I mean, it's a long way from King Kong Bundy, who I liked, but King Kong Bundy wasn't a very good wrestler. Yeah. So, um, and to stereotype more, Johnny Gargano reminds me of Shawn Michaels. Yes, in exactly. In every aspect. And Shawn Michaels was known to be Mr. WrestleMania. Whether he won or lost, he always put on the best match. Yeah. Always. So, Johnny Gargano is Mr. Takeover. Like, no matter if he wins or loses... He's always the one I'm watching. Yep. And um, him and Keith Lee just did so well together. I wish the feud could continued, but um, it did not, unfortunately, did because not. Uh, Keith Lee got the demotion to Raw. So, because yes. <laughs> NXT is the main roster. Um, but yeah, great match all around. Um, the way he's able to spirit bomb people, too. Like, dude, that's so high in the air. It's probably <laughs> it so is. scary. Yeah. It reminds me of The Undertaker's last ride. But like quicker yes. and like more devastating because the Undertaker would just drop them, whereas Keith Lee goes with them, and you just get so much more bounce back on the powerbomb oh, drop. Sure. So 
it's good stuff. There's a really humorous story where Kane tried to do the last ride. So if you don't know, you would pick them up in a powerbomb position, and then the Undertaker would lift them up higher and then drop them. But so Kane tried to do it on someone really small one time was with the Undertaker in the ring, and he went for the lift. But what he didn't realize is he had to hold on to them as he lifted them. So instead of holding on to him, he threw the guy over his shoulders by complete accident. Like, you can watch it on the network. I went back and watched it. And then you just see the Undertaker look at him and Kane go, like, just shrugs. He goes, oops. Because uh, <laughs> he, like, he didn't know how to do oh, it. Lord. So I think they discussed this in the, um, the Brothers of the Destruction thing that was just yeah. on the network, too. That shit was so funny. I remember watching that and be like, I don't think Kane was supposed to do it that yeah. way. So. <laughs> Uh, we then move on to our fourth match, the backlot brawl for the NXT Championship. We get Adam Cole, baby, taking on the Velveteen Dream. Um, if Velveteen Dream loses, he does not get a challenge for the NXT Championship again while Adam Cole is champion, which shouldn't be a problem because Adam Cole lost the title a month later, but not in this match to give away the ending. Also, Velveteen Dream shouldn't ch- challenge for it anyway. He is like super weird by sending his dick to underage boys and girls, so... Here we are. Somehow he still has a job. But I'm here to critique the match, not the man. So uh, Adam Cole arrives in a monster truck, and Velveteen Dream arrives in a yellow Lambo dressed as Negan um, from The Walking Dead. Missed opportunity, maybe, because the Velveteen Dream obviously tries to be Prince, right? That's, like, his whole thing. Right. Shouldn't he have arrived in a little red Corvette? I mean, that's what commentary was saying, but... um... Beth, oh. for some reason, that reference went over her head, and she was like, ah, well, he, he upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have a little red Corvette than a yellow yeah. Lamborghini. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, sorry. So <laughs> he, uh, he arrives as Negan from The Walking Dead. Um, but you also mentioned the way he had his dreads kind of looked like Travis Scott, who I think I've seen a yeah. picture of, but the uh, the second Cactus Jack, if you will. Yes. Um, anyway, I noticed right away that this match is very hard to see while they're in the ring. Oh, let me preface what this match is. I, I just kind of glazed over it. So a backlot brawl is a match that's supposed to take place around a bunch of cars. The most famous one, I'd say, probably went to John Cena and Eddie Guerrero from SmackDown in, like, 2002, which doesn't hold up as well because it's super racist with all, like, the Latino slang that John Cena's throwing at Eddie Guerrero. Uh, there was also one with Goldust and Roddy Piper back at WrestleMania 12. Um, okay. So, which was hilariously bad because they wrestlemania that year took place in anaheim and they were doing hollywood backlot brawl and they had to get from hollywood to anaheim somehow so they like the match started and then later in the show the match concluded but as they're showing Goldust traveling to anaheim from la which is like 30 minutes south they're showing footage of uh oj's white bronco getting chased by police so <laughs> and in 1996 that was super relevant so oh um back, so yeah this match actually has a ring around it and the finish has to have happen in the ring around all these cars in a back lot, essentially. But it's really hard to see because all the headlights are on. So it's just the lights shining in your face. And I have an astigmatism. So when I see headlights, they go off in a bunch of different directions. It's like looking at branches. So this match was very hard for me to watch. But I did my best. If I miss anything, please fill in the gaps, babe. Um, Cole attempts to run away by entering a car that he didn't arrive in for some weird reason. And the dream starts to bash it with Negan. Um, a random Uber driver shows up, and the poor Uber driver gets her car hit by both men, which was a attempt at comedy, I guess, because she literally goes, "Your Uber's here," and they both look at her like she's high. Yeah. So, uh, so swing and a miss. Who ordered the fucking Uber? Is what I want to know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the mystery that we'll never know. Um, these guys then punch kick each other for a very long time on the outside, mixing it up with bouncing each other off of car hoods every now and then until Cole hits the ninety first super kick of our show. Uh, on not to be outdone, the Velveteen Dream perfectly hits another super kick, number ninety two, during Cole's axe handle attempt. Another car appears carrying Bobby Roode and Roderick Strong, who I don't know where Kyle O'Reilly was at, but the rest of the Undisputed Era are there to um, try and beat up Velveteen Dream, but they actually distract Cole, who gets the bump of the night by falling off a ladder through a windshield, and dude, he is cut up. Yeah. Um, that did not look nice. No. But the Undisputed Era begin to attack Dream and fill the ring with about 25 chairs that were in the back of this um, gigantic pickup truck. Uh, out of nowhere, Dexter Loomis appears. We covered him on the Halloween Havoc episode. Um, and he fends off the Undisputed Era in his really creepy and funny way. Puts them in the trunk of a car and drives off. 
to do God knows what, whatever Dexter's Loomis does. Uh, back in the ream, dream, back in the ring, rather, Dream counters a Panama Sunrise into a Dream Valley Driver, but only gets two. Colden hits Dream with a low blow and the Panama Sunrise onto all of these chairs, which was another great bump, to end the match and retain his NXT championship. So, Olivia, what do you think? Um, I guess for, uh, besides the couple of sort of spectacular spots, one being where Adam Cole, like, falls into the windshield and, like, basically murders his elbow, <laughs> uh, it just... I hate these kind of matches, I guess, just because I'm just, I don't know, like, I'm not here to watch, like, people just punch each other. Like, if I <laughs> wanted to watch that, I'd watch, like, boxing or, like, UFC or something. Honestly, but... I kind of wanted to watch boxing this weekend, because did you hear Mike Tyson came out of retirement? Like, what I the did. fuck? did, <laughs> yeah, that's really strange. WWE Hall of Famer Mike Tyson, I'm sorry. Yeah, what, uh, what a strange year this has been. <laughs> um, but other than that, I just, I don't I feel like both of these guys have had, like, better matches. Like, I thought the, I don't know, the setting was, like, pretty cool. But then, again, you were you were saying how you couldn't really see just because of all the car lights. But I just couldn't really see it because it was just super dark. Yeah, they went around the cars and then yeah. there, there was no the lights. Yeah, so. and then you couldn't see anything. Um, I appreciated the cool, like, entrances with, like, the cars and stuff. And I liked Velveteen Dreams. Uh, homage to The Walking Dead. That was really fun. I got that reference right away. Um, but other than that, like, it wasn't, like, a... It wasn't something that wowed me. So, um, I gave this a 3 out of 5. Just because it was, like, a good match. But I feel like you really have to put on a... I I feel like I'm used to watching these two, like, really put on a show. Um, in every, like, respective match that they have. But to this this time, it just didn't really feel that way for whatever reason. No, I agree. And this was, to me, I mentioned earlier, this was the boring match of the night. Okay. I didn't, like, a lot didn't go on. Now, I loved the windshield spot. Yeah. Takes a lot of, takes a lot of balls to do yeah, that. Yeah, it like, does. <laughs> and uh, the Panama Sunrise on the chairs was also disgusting. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. But other than that, that like, bad. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. And if it wasn't for those two spots, I would probably have given it, like, a one. Because, like, I like both guys. Like, I mean, outside of the ring, I don't like Velveteen Dream. But in the ring, I like him a lot. He's really good. He's really charismatic. Adam Cole, I he, like, you know how much I love him. He's great. Um, just, man, this match was nothing special except for those two spots. So I gave it the middle of the road grade, the 2.5, because both men took some punishment in the end of it. And okay. that's for my entertainment. Yeah. I'm um, actually surprised that you said that that was a boring match because I actually have a match... Of the night that I think was super boring, but it wasn't this one. This one was just, like, okay yeah. for me, but... It's going to be the next one. Yes. But before we get there, we're back to Todd Pettingale, who tries to sell us uh, WWE merch via a 1-900 number, which is so funny because that's what they would do during the In Your House shows. And then he goes, what do you mean 1-900 numbers aren't a thing anymore? Well, go to WWE shop. And then it cuts to three members of DX, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and the Road Dog, um, who are trying to buy stuff and it's got that excellent Shawn Michaels joke where he back in like 1997 he was trying to use a computer and he's pressing buttons like really slowly <laughs> and mostly because he was probably like stoned out of his mind back then yeah. and know what he was doing but now he's clean and Christian so he's uh doing it just out of humor and you can find that gif if you ever want to it's very funny um so we get the next match Karrion Cross with Scarlet taking on Tommaso Ciampa um and I'm assuming this is the match he thought was really boring yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, so not a lot happens here because Tommaso Ciampa is kind of like the older, well, not the older ringleader, but the, uh, most current ringleader of NXT and Karrion Cross is the new big baddie that comes in with his, with his chick Scarlet. Um, so they're really trying to put over this Karrion Cross guy, um, who I had never seen on the indies before, but he was apparently a really big deal. Um, so he gets a squash match, squash match on Tommaso Ciampa. Um, the match is very short. Very quick. Um, Cross gets cocky early and Ciampa gets in four or five offensive moves. But then after that, it's all carrying Cross takes control with suplexes, destroying the former NXT champion. Ciampa somehow fights back, though. Um, hits a Widow's Bell out of nowhere for two, but his fairytale ending attempt is countered into Cross's own Cross Jacket submission. And he defeats Ciampa via knockout technical submission. I guess you said it was boring, so what do you think? <laughs> I just... Uh, okay. This match was very short. A couple of moments to pick. <laughs> this match was very clunky. Um, and by clunky, I just mean, like, I don't know. I feel like in wrestling, there's this sort of essence that wrestlers have about them 
where everything, they're working really hard in the ring, but everything just looks so effortless. And this didn't happen in that match. I feel like they both made each other look very heavy and hard to pick up and hard to... I don't know, like, really, I, I felt like nobody looked strong in this match, and I know that, like, the whole point of the match was to make Karrion Cross look really strong, but he didn't really. I mean, um, he beat the crap out of one of the best NXT champions and, of all time. But it didn't, but here's the thing, is that you can do it in a way that makes you look really strong and really good, but in this match, it just, like, uh, there were a lot of spots where I felt like it looked like he was physically struggling to pick up Tommaso Ciampa, which... Although he's very muscular and also very tall, is significantly smaller than Karrion Cross. He's only five nine. He's not that tall. But still, like tall, tall to you, yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I just am so used to like referencing him in my mind with like any match with him versus Johnny Gargano, which Johnny Gargano's he's a little guy. Like, he's a, he's a short king. It's like five one on his yeah. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but but like I said, it, not a huge dude. And so, like, why are you, like, having to strain every single, like, vein in your body to pick this dude up? So, although he, like, this match was meant to put him over and make him look like this big, tough baddie, he didn't really, in my opinion. But my second bone that I have to pick with this, and I feel like I mentioned this when we watched this the first time. (sighs) Okay, let me preface this by saying that in all of my research and all of my dedication to learning about gender dynamics in wrestling and particularly women in wrestling um I do have a certain appreciation but criticism of the role of a ring escort and in this case Karrion Cross has Scarlett as his ring escort and although in the past like how you um, call them an escort but like manager should be the term escort sounds okay, so hookery but, okay but here's the thing here's the thing <laughs> Is that there's a difference between, and even when you hear women of years past talk about this sort of role, like some of them will refer to particular uh, women as the escorts and some of them as managers because there is definitely a difference between the two types of roles. And it's, especially as a woman, it's very difficult to come across as a manager. Like for example, in this modern era, Zelina Vega does that very well. Um, well, not anymore. And not anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> she always played that role um, with Andrade, like, extremely well. Like, she, co- she came across as vicious, but intelligent and calculated and was, like, super hot while doing it, right? But with this Scarlet chick, I just... <sighs> Queen. Like, she... It looked like, you know, she, like, she came into the ring, did her thing, looked super hot, but then after that, you're supposed to sort of transition into this very knowledgeable, advice-giving, like, ringside assistant. And she didn't really do that. Um, I guess maybe I would have to see, like, more of her work, As you I say, guess. it happens more, except just not in but this But it just was, the more I, like, started to focus on that in the match, because this match was pretty boring, I was just like, you're not doing anything. Like, you are less productive than a bump on a log. And there were a lot of times where I felt like she was, like, posing and looking cute and, like, making sure that she was, like, within, you know, the the camera lens. She got to show off that cat suit she was wearing. Yeah, but I'm like, you're not, you're, this whole, you know, promoting women as legitimate wrestlers and getting away from that sort of era in wrestling where women were used as objects and... Um, were really ogled at and like not really taken seriously and the reason why coming back to my point the reason why that there are certain women uh, that participated in wrestling in years past that would differentiate between like escort and manager um, I just queen you gotta do better like especially if this is gonna be like the next like rising star I feel like well, if he was she supposed to be, and then he got hurt. <laughs> if she, if that's going to, I guess, continue to happen, that she needs to kind of step it up a little bit in her performance and her characterization, because if she doesn't, it can come across as very hookerish, which which I don't want to happen. Um, not that there's anything wrong with coming across as hookerish, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was kind of my second. It was very distracting, I would say. What's your grade? Oh, my grade for this? It was a 2.5 out of 5. It wasn't, like, anything spectacular. Um, and, yeah. I have a question about that. Okay. So, that's, that's why I want to get your grade before I keep yeah. talking. I also gave it a 2.5 out of 5. I think it made Cross look strong. 
um, while Champa could lose and he'll be fine. Right. Um, yeah. But it was not like a note of this match. But my question, I guess, is Scarlett is known to not like even on the indies. She doesn't want to be a wrestler. Her whole thing is she wants to be the yeah. manager. Yeah. So does that kind of change that dynamic? Like, well, she doesn't want to be in the ring, so she doesn't need to like you know, put on that sort of thing that, like, Zinlana Vega did because she wants to be in the ring, or Lana did because she wants to be in the ring. She's uh, well, just I mean, there. not at all. I mean, you could you could say, I mean, not to, not to switch genders, but, I mean, <laughs> like, for example, like, in this day and age, like, Paul Heyman is, like, the manager, and it's, like, not like you're ever going to see, he's never, you know, like, really hopped in the ring himself or ever really has the desire to. Um, uh, I mean, he, so he's done it. That's there, not well, good. Well, yes, but there, there's a, a way to, I guess characterize the per the persona that you're trying to play in order to come across as like very intelligent like okay this is what this reminds me of it reminds me of when dana brooke was with uh what was it called like titus worldwide um and she was like the accountant or whatever and she just come across like it was it was awful like she was supposed to be the manager type and although you could say like oh that's different because she's a wrestler like it just didn't it wasn't good it wasn't a good storyline well that whole stable wasn't good yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so there's like i said there's a like a really good um way to do it like Zelina vega like lana um and there's really bad ways to do it, like I'm really Dana Brooke and like Scarlet in this instance. I'm really interested when we get to the 80s because you have a lot of male managers. Like Bobby the Brain Heenan's like the one of the 80s, right? Yeah. Uh, you got Slick, you've got Mr. Fuji, but then you've got who would probably be characterized as the first lady of wrestling, and that's Miss Elizabeth. And I'm, I don't want to know him now, but I'm so interested to hear your thoughts about Miss Elizabeth. Oh, I can't wait because I've written so much about her already. <laughs> Um, that I can't wait to, cause you never read that paper that I sent you, but, uh, I'm, I'm excited to finally voice all my opinions. Calling um, me out. I'm not reading the paper. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, I deserve that. All right, Olivia. Well, we are moving on from, um, one woman you weren't too impressed with to three women you're usually pretty impressed with. Um, our main event, our triple threat match for the NXT Women's Championship the NXT champion, or NXT women's champion, rather, Charlotte Flair taking on Io Shirai. God, I cannot type today, and I'm reading it word for word. Charlotte Flair taking on Io Shirai, taking on Rhea Ripley. Um, this is one of Charlotte's only defenses at the NXT women's champion. Um, putting the belt on her, as I said in the WrestleMania thing, was a mistake because it did absolutely nothing for NXT, and it just made Rhea Ripley look like a chump. And I will get into exactly why I think Rhea Ripley looked like a chump even later in this match. But let's go over this one first. Um, as all three women enter, fans start a you don't go here chant at Flair. And I actually agreed with her for once because she's like, I built this place. Which is true. true. It's like yeah, pa- Paige and Emma and then the four horse women. Yeah. Like, so uh, Charlotte gets an early advantage but is soon double teamed by her opponents. Um, Flair and Io get some one-on-one time as Flair transitions a dropkick attempt into a really nice Boston Crab. Uh, I hate on Charlotte Flair a lot of times, but Charlotte Flair is a great wrestler. Oh, just for like, sure. Just like, you know, just fuck Charlotte Flair. Um, that's she's how I kind of like that. the the women, or she's like the female Roman Reigns, where it's going to take a lot to, I guess, change people's minds about her. Um, but you can't discredit her in any sort right, of like exactly. pro- professional way, I guess. Yeah. Because she's fantastic. Or to like compare her to LeBron James away. People are like, LeBron sucks. I'm yeah. like, how? Yeah, exactly. Like, you <laughs> um, might not like them as, like, I mean, they might not like Charlotte's character, the fact that, you know, Vince really likes to push her. Um, but she's a true professional and she good, kicks yeah. ass. Uh, she seems like a sweet lady. Yeah. Life, so. um, back to the match. Ripley gets a little revenge on her WrestleMania loss, but it's uh, Io who gains control of the match for a time, drop kicking both women out of the ring. Uh, Flair hits double spears on both women and attempts a pin on both, but uh, deuces all around. Flair tells the crowd to suck it. She does the suck it thing, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and then she misses a moonsault attempt um, because Io gets her knees up. Or sorry, Rhea gets her knees up. We get a nice sequence where Shirai hits a meteor on Ripley, but is immediately hit with a natural selection from Flair. Uh, the three women do a chop battle, and then Flair locks in the figure eight on Rhea, um, reminiscent of the WrestleMania match. But Io hits a top rope moonsault as uh, Ripley is in the figure eight and pins Rhea Ripley to become the new NXT Women's Champion, which she is still to this day. So, Olivia, what do we think? Um, 
did not put a great face I match, so I'm going to do it right now. like many of these uh, women's title matches, it's kind of unnecessary to make them a triple threat. I think that you might agree with me in the sense that when you do have those triple threat matches, I know that they're meant to kind of add as a cushion to the blow of somebody losing, but in fact, it almost emphasizes that point. And I, so I think what point you're trying to get at or what point you were alluding to is that Rhea Ripley especially looks like a chump in this match because she loses again, but to somebody different. And, and I Charlotte think that, didn't lose the match. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even though... I just think that, okay, if you would have had just Charlotte versus EO and had EO win... Um, it wouldn't have, it would have made EO look really strong and it wouldn't have been any sweat off Charlotte's back because then she knows she's going to go back to doing her normal thing. So she hasn't been seen since um, though. Well, you know, she had a knee injury, I think, or something similar to that. Yeah. But she, regardless, like regardless it's not damaging to her, I guess, reputation or career, um, to take this loss for a belt that she's, uh, made very clear that she's too good for, but just wanted to, I guess, quote unquote, win again. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I hope that that's the point that you were making because I totally agree that it does make Rhea Ripley look like a big fat chump, um, for losing again. Cause that's, it's, it's disappointing because I feel like, and maybe it's kind of like the Oscar effect that I like to, I guess, coin it as now where they're so hot for so long that like, I guess some wrestling fans tend to get a bit traumatic when they like finally do lose and they're like, oh my God, like. They're trying to, like, ruin their career. Like, they're making them lose all these matches. Um, which is not the case. Like, they'll be fine. Uh, but, yeah, no, I just think it was kind of unnecessary to make this uh, triple threat match. But regardless, it was a good match. Good wrestling. Um, wasn't a huge fan of the ending. But, I mean, at least Charlotte didn't retain. So, um... EO's been a great champ so Yeah, far. absolutely. I love EO. I think she's fantastic. I think she's... Uh, she's vicious, she's, I don't know, she seems so excited always to wrestle and is excited to be, um, in the role that she's in, which makes me excited, so, um, not a complete loss, even though, like, Rhea is, like, one of my favorites, um, so for that, I give this a 3.5 out of 5 quality match, but... I gave it the same grade. Okay. And you caught me, you got most of my point okay. on why Rhea looked like a chump, but the big reason is... Um, well, let me go on the Charlotte Flair point first. This is the second, like, major triple threat match she's been in. Yeah. Where she lost the match, but, but like, didn't not lose really. the match. Yeah. Because the other one would be the Wrestle th- WrestleMania 35 yes. main event, where Ronda Rousey ended up losing the match. Which also brings back a point. You booked yourself into a corner there, because you cannot have Becky lose. Like, Becky needed to win that match. Right. But also, Ronda losing was a big deal, and Charlotte... Probably like Vince will not want Charlotte to ever lose clean for some reason. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like the same thing here. Like, why didn't Charlotte eat the pin? Why did Rhea have to eat the pin? Um, it made her look like a fucking idiot because all she wanted to do was get revenge on Charlotte, and she almost lost to her again. But my point also be becomes, any time Rhea would hit a move, anything she did, every single time, she hits a clothesline on Io Shirai, she really gets the shit kicked out of her by Charlotte. She gets yeah. a suplex on Charlotte. Io Shirai drop kicks her out of the ring. She is just there to like eat fucking like hit one move and then eat another move and like look like a fucking fool this entire match. Like it not her fault. The way it was booked was kind of fucking dumb. Like you just made this like you say, "Oh, Rhea, you know, she was so hot and then when she lost, like you know, the fans freak out." I mean, she hasn't recovered this year. Yeah, she's still been on TV. Yeah, she still won some matches. But what has she done since WrestleMania? She hasn't okay, done yes, yes, anything. You could say that, but the same, like I said, the same thing happened to Asuka where there was a long time where they didn't really do anything with her and she kind of went on this losing streak. But I mean, look at her now. Like, she's doing great. You know, she's, what, still still the tag champion? No. No, she's the Raw Women's Champion. Thank you, yes. I knew she had some sort of championship. She's um, had them all at this point. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. And so, but like now, people have like totally forgotten about that, and like still regard her as like very highly decorated. Yeah, but and... they had they had to work to build her ass up again because everyone was just like, "What is she doing?" And then like, even the the first time she won the tag championships, everyone was like, "Okay." And then last year and this year, she really 
Well, but, that, up, but but doesn't that make it way more? Isn't that way more fun? Isn't that way more exciting to sort of have that underdog dynamic? Because then everybody wants to cheer them. Yeah, you know, no but I'm just saying. Their... Like, I could I could tell you what Oscar did in 2018 after she lost. I can't tell you anything Rhea did this year. Any aside from Although the sandwich, which I, I forgot. I it was... I guess the one thing that I could argue against that is that this has kind of been. A weird year in general, yes. and I think that any sort of long-term story planning that they had in both NXT and on Raw and SmackDown kind of just went out the window once WrestleMania didn't happen, you know, at the Raymond James Stadium. So, I I don't know. I just, I feel like I totally can't really blame anybody for this. <laughs> I just think Io, while she looked great winning regardless, and good for her, I'm not taking anything away from her. She was awesome in this match. Also, I mean... Two of the three women were awesome in this match. I don't think Rhea was very good in this match, and I don't think it's through her fault. But the whole point of this match was because Charlotte's just like, well, I beat Rhea, so now I want to beat Io. Why didn't you just have it Charlotte versus Io? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And like, then, it's kind of the, silly to then just... Why did Rhea eat the pin? Because then, like, Charlotte should have been the one to lose on that because she's the one who picked her opponent. Yeah. <laughs> so... Like it just it doesn't that book. No, I do. I no, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. And that was kind of the ending point that I had made earlier. That it was just kind of silly that really didn't need a triple threat. And just in the same way that I felt at WrestleMania thirty five, where I was immediately pissed. Uh, I was one of those fans that as soon as they announced that Charlotte was involved in that match, I was like, Becky's not gonna win. Um, and luckily she did. Um, but in that match, when you go back and you, you think about it and you watch it and I mean, eventually like years down the line, we'll get to this so we can fully talk about it. But, um, I mean, when you think about it, like, I mean, Becky looked good in that match, but like not great, no. especially the ending, like sh- which not they, a strong Which they pretend win. didn't happen anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they like to rewrite history and pretend that that's, that it was like not really a pin, but. How do you think, how, how does Vince McMahon think that. Ronda Rousey is a bigger star than Becky Lynch and Charlotte, just based off of her career outside of wrestling. Right. So how does Vince not think that Becky and Ronda, that's it. That's all you need. Why do you have to... Why did Charlotte Flair have to be interjected there? Fine, Charlotte's great. She's awesome. She's very good in the ring. But what what about her, Becky and Ronda? You know, the only... (laughs) I remember thinking back to that, and the only thing that I could come to the conclusion to is that, like... That... I guess you couldn't have that... Here's the thing. As me as a true wrestling fan, I would have, and in the years leading up to this match happening and how historic it was, like, if you would have asked me, I would have said, oh, Becky Charlotte, like, main event. Like, that's what I would want. Um, And then, of course, you get Ronda Rousey involved, and then money gets involved, and her name gets involved, and they're making a lot of money. They get a lot of notoriety because she's involved. Great. But that doesn't justify... Her, I guess, being in that sort of historic, very true to what wrestling is, you know, in that in that sort of like moment. So I guess you could say that although that that was like very historic and it was great and it was wonderful, I just didn't. I'm on the side that I don't think that Ronda Rousey should have been involved in that specific match, and I say Ooh, that I even, so disagree. I mean, you could have had her on. In WrestleMania, well, in a different match. Here's and it why Ronda should have been, been, been in the match, great. because Becky and Ronda were robbed at Survivor Series because Nia Jax had to go injure another person. So Becky spent the whole time social media feuding with Ronda, and they were. then everyone realized, oh, once Becky's better, WrestleMania's right around the corner. And so Becky and Ronda were going at it with each other the whole time, and Becky didn't have a championship, and Ronda did. And, that, and then she won the Royal Rumble, so you're like, boom, Becky, Ronda... That's what everyone wants to see. And that's what all the fans wanted to see. Because they want they were already seeing fucking Becky and Charlotte. Who gives a shit? We've seen them fucking hundreds of times. We've seen that match. That's great. Everyone wants to see Becky and Ronda. And then Charlotte's like, oh, here I am. Hi, I'm the queen. Um, Ric Flair's my dad. I don't know if you know that. But Ric Flair's my dad. The greatest of all times, my dad. So I have to be in the match. Okay, but and... this is how I look at it. I totally disagree. Because this is how I look at it. I look at it as Becky and Charlotte were these women who were like, literally like the founders of what we know of modern women's wrestling and have worked very hard to be in the positions that they are and as a like a really like true like I love watching wrestlers wrestle 
and watch them perform and carry themselves in the way that they do, I would have just loved Charlotte and Becky because they worked so hard to build women's wrestling to what it is today, and so they deserve that moment. And then to me, what it was super disappointing when Ronda got involved because regardless of how entertaining it was for her to sit there and say and go sort of on this like heel turn where she's like, oh, wrestling's fake and it's, you know, it's not real, it's bullshit, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. And, you know, although people really loved that whole sort of Twitter feud, what ended up happening and what we know sitting here in the present day is that she... I don't know, I guess doesn't actually really give a shit about wrestling and that it was all just really a paycheck to her. And that that's, I mean, that's good for her because now she can live the life that she wants to live. And um, she's very much in the sense, in the same vein as Brock Lesnar, where, you know, they come in for a short amount of time, make the money that they need to, and then they go and move on. To me, that is not justification for her to be involved in that well, very historic moment. Regardless, your main event was going to be Ronda Rousey no matter what. Ronda Rousey was going to be in that main event, no matter if it was Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair facing her. And Vince had promised, because Becky was going to get Ronda at Survivor Series, but then she got hurt. So then you got Charlotte versus Ronda, and Vince had promised Charlotte Flair the match with Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania. So then Becky was the hottest thing, and he didn't want another Daniel Bryan scenario. So he was just like, now I have to put her in this match. And then he's like, but I also promised it to this person. So that's why you got your triple threat. That's the exact reason you got it. Because no, he, I understand that's why we got but it. You weren't but gonna, you were never going to not have Ronda Rousey in that position. She was always going to be the first woman's main event, regardless if it was Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair. I just think since Becky was your hottest property, Becky's the one you put there. And they were just like, but Charlotte. Like, it's the same reason with fucking Daniel Bryan, Batista, and Randy Orton. Daniel Bryan's your hottest fucking thing. But Vince is like, but Batista, it has to be Batista. So Batista, he, I promised him, so it's got to be him. Even though Daniel Bryan's the one you fucking want there. You want Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton. You don't want Batista versus Randy Orton. So, and Batista was the Ronda Rousey at that point because he's like, I left. I'm the actor now. I'm just here for a paycheck. And so you're going to put that person who's going to make you more money, even if the right answer is somebody else. No, I agree with, like, your your understanding of how everything goes, but that doesn't necessarily mean a, a, that I agree with their decision in storytelling and the way that they built up the match and who they decided to put in it. Because at the end of the day, I don't like Ronda Rousey. I don't think that she gives a shit about wrestling and wrestling the wrestling product. But obviously, like, I do care about wrestling itself, and if Ronda Rousey is going to be one of those, you know ticket selling names and is going to make more people watch wrestling and more people get excited about wrestling again then obviously I'm willing to give a little bit because if that if that is what it takes to get women interested in wrestling and if that's what it takes to get people who were interested and were not interested but now are interested again back into wrestling that's great um but that doesn't mean that that's I think we'll look back in history, in wrestling history, and see that that was a huge, huge mistake. Maybe in like eight or nine years when we get to that match, my mind might change. But for right now, I will always say Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey should have been that main event without Charlotte Flair. But we have digressed for like ten minutes. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> we gave our grades for the match. So um, just stay tuned in 2028 when we cover WrestleMania yeah. 35. But Olivia, what is your match of the night, performer of the night, and grade for NXT TakeOver in your house? Okay, so my match of the night has to go to uh, Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano. They were super funny, and I just love it when wrestlers just really know how to wrestle. Uh, and then my performer of the night has to go to Johnny Gargano because I just love him when he's a heel. I think he's so funny. Uh, and then so my grade for the night is going to be a 3.5 out of 5. I thought there were a lot of strong points in this pay-per-view. Some, a, a couple of slumps, a couple of bumps here. Um, but regardless, NXT is always a really good product. And so I can never really hate on it. And I, this was a good pay-per-view. Like always, they always put on a great show. I don't see us really ever giving NXT anything lower than like a 3.5. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just always so good. Um, you and I have the same three. Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano, Match of the Night. Um, Johnny Gargano, Performer of the Night. And, uh, 3.5 out of 5. And, but I did not give Johnny Gargano 
my attire of the night. I gave it okay. to... Because I asked you the color in the match. Yes, you um, did. I, I gave it to Finn Balor's dark royal blue trunks yes. that he was wearing, which were really nice. Shiny, dark royal blue vinyl trunks. Yeah, those looked really nice. Those yeah. looked sharp on him. Those so. were slick. Um, I think this is, he's the only person so far to win this attire of the night twice. Yeah. So we'll see by the end of the year if he continues to hold that title. But for right now, he is the <clears throat> prince of holding the uh, attire of the night. Yes. Which I'm surprised because I honestly thought it would have went to Johnny Gargano. But his wife outshone him. That at NXT Halloween Havoc. That's true, so, yeah, she did. Because he almost won it, but I was like, yeah, that Sally attire was really good. But, uh, Olivia, always thank you for joining me. We uh, went off on a tangent about WrestleMania. We did, but it was fun. Yeah, exactly, because we both love talking about wrestling, and I'm just... I love it even more when I can argue with you I about know. it. I'm just a dude talking about a women's match, but she is so much more passionate about it, and that's exactly why I love having her as not only my girlfriend, but also my wrestling partner, because... She gets to see and have opinions on stuff that I don't see and probably shouldn't have opinions on. So I should have an opinion on it, but not as high of an opinion. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Olivia, do you want to plug them socials? Absolutely. Please follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. I post really bad memes there. Um, so regardless of whether you like them or hate them, um, you can give me a like if you like them. Um, you can say go die uh, if you hate them. Um, but regardless, it's interaction, and that gets my posts boosted on on Instagram. So please go interact with those. Um, the algorithm will thank you. Uh, please listen to us on Spotify. That's my favorite podcast platform. But of course, if you want to listen to us on other platforms such as Apple Podcasts, um, definitely go give us a review there. Let us know how you like this pay-per-view, what we could change. Um, you could tell us to shut up, but regardless, the algorithm loves it. Um, and then also go follow us on Spotify. Um, that would be really great and really cool. And also, if you would like to have some really cool merch from us, um, please go buy some laptop stickers off of Redbubble. I got one. Um, I worked really, really hard on making our really retro um, WrestleMania slash In Your House inspired logo for this podcast. And it would be really, really cool if you could go buy those stickers and let everyone know what your favorite wrestling podcast is. But regardless, thank you for joining us on this episode of That's Gotta Be Wrestling. And what are we reviewing next week, Tommy? We will be reviewing a live pay-per-view. It's NXT Woo-hoo! War Games. And we I'm so see- excited. I love War Games pay-per-views. Yeah. And then after that, it's NXT 30. So we get three weeks of NXT and then we get uh, and then we get TLC after that. So. Yes, Yay. we do. <laughs> Yay, WWE pay per view. But three weeks of NXT, so that's yes, great. Yes, so it's gonna be fun. Yes, um, lots of positivity. Um, probably still lots of arguing because we tend to do that on NXT pay per views for whatever reason. Um, but as always, thanks for talking about wrestling with me, Tommy. Of course, love you, babe. Love you too. Mm-hmm.